All right, bradcooney.com. I'd like to welcome in the Emmy Award-winning National Conservative Talk Show host, Lars Larson. Lars, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure, Brad. Well, look, man, it's definitely an honor to have you on board. There's a lot to talk about. I know you don't have a whole lot of time, so we'll try to squeeze this in as much as we can. Um, okay, first and foremost, we are... Um, we're just experiencing one of the craziest elections down here in Mississippi that I've ever seen. Um, it's got a lot of national play. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Chris McDaniel, the senator, and uh, Thad Cochran, a longtime establishment guy. Um, for those who haven't really been tuned in on this, the first go-round, Mr. McDaniel won the thing. Uh, he just didn't get to 51% that he needed. Uh, so we had the runoff, and now there's all kinds of... Uh, fraud allegations, and there's proof, in fact, of some fraud. Uh, Cochran wins the second runoff, the first runoff, and today they certified it. So give me your thoughts on that whole just mess uh, that's going on down here in Mississippi. Well, there are a couple of levels that I want to respond to that on. One is that we know for a fact that more than 5,000 votes have been identified of people who voted in the June 3rd primary election in the Democrat, on the Democrat side, and then voted a second time on the 24th. Well, in American elections, you don't get to vote twice. You only get to vote once. And the laws in Mississippi are pretty clear that say you can't vote in the second election if you voted in the first primary election uh, for a Democrat candidate. There are more than 5,000 votes, which is most of the margin that that doctrine had. And we know that in a number of the counties, they have not allowed inspection of the, the uh, poll books, mm -hmm. which are by law public record. Any member of the public can see them. And we know that there's evidence in there that, that there were you know, there were fraudulent votes. So that's, that's one reaction. Secondly, the fact that Thad Cochran had to win by having his allies, not necessarily his campaign directly, but his allies go out and tell people in Mississippi, if you are black and you are dependent on food stamps or other kinds of government support, if you don't put that Cochran in, your welfare is going to be cut off, your food stamps are going to be cut off, so you need to get out there and vote for that Cochran. That is an, that's an illegitimate way to win an election. And uh, that Cochran and his supporters should be ashamed of themselves. Now, today... The Secretary of State's office certified the, the votes. Um, CNN just went on the air a little while ago and said that Thad Cochran's the official winner. Senator McDaniel had a press, well, his attorney had a press conference here in Jackson earlier today officially challenging the results. So can you shed some light on that? How does that work? How does it get certified? And now what's, what happens next now that, that, that Senator McDaniel has officially challenged the results? Well, Senator McDaniel, or, uh, Senator McDaniel could go in and file a lawsuit, but here's where I think the people in Mississippi should be highly disappointed. The Secretary of State in every state is in charge of the elections process. Mm -hmm. And a Secretary of State, any Secretary of State, should be concerned that the elections process is a trustworthy process. In this case, if you already have independent reports that more than 5,000 votes were apparently illegal votes, I think the Secretary of State should go to work doing the job that the Secretary of State is supposed to do and determine whether or not that charge is true. And it's not that hard to do. 
you go and look at the poll votes and you say, okay, this guy voted, you know, for a Democrat candidate on June 3rd. He also voted on June 24th. That vote is incorrect. It's just a matter of comparing the poll, vote, poll votes, which every Secretary of State is set up to do exactly that kind of work so that you make sure that, that elections are valid. The fact is, is that if Thad Cochran wins this way and the Secretary of State does not do his job by determining whether or not the election was valid, if people can't trust the elections process, then none of the elections will be viewed as valid. Mm -hmm. So what, no matter how this one is finally determined, Secretary of State and the people of Mississippi have an interest in making sure that their elections process is protected. Now, we see this kind of activity in foreign countries, and Americans are usually disturbed when they see that somebody has stolen an election in a foreign country by using illicit means to win it. Let's not make America end up like one of these third-world banana republics. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, very good point. And, you know, the, the, the people that are scoffing and then laughing about this on the Cochrane side, they may not be laughing and scoffing so much if a few years down the road their votes are stolen. You know, and as a veteran myself, and a lot of veterans that I know that voted for Chris McDaniel were pretty repulsed and disgusted by the fact that the, there's some reports out there that, that votes were bought for $15. Yeah. Um, you know, Charles C. Johnson has been a real pit bull on the ground down here and has exposed quite a few things. You know, there's a lot of really, really pissed off veterans down here. Well, they should be because I heard the same reports and I, I covered the same reports. Charles Johnson, I think, is a good reporter. He's been a, a real asset to Americans in trying to help us safeguard this system. That's what journalists are supposed to do. Now, do you know the easy way to resolve this? The Secretary of State calls up the uh, district attorney or the local prosecutor and says, let's convene a grand jury in your county. Let's get this man who claims that votes were bought. Let's call him in and under penalty of perjury, right. let's take his testimony. And if he's willing to swear that this happened, then you call in the people he names as having taken advantage of this, taken money for votes allegedly, or paid money for votes allegedly, and let's call let's haul them in in front of the grand jury and say, you got 15 bucks for this vote. Is it worth going to jail for perjury to continue to lie, or will you tell us what really happened? And if you find out that a few votes were bought, wasn't the final margin around 7,000 votes? Yeah, it was. It was like 7,500 or something like that. All right, you know what you but you can buy seventy five hundred votes if you paid fifteen bucks a vote for eleven thousand dollars. Do people in Mississippi plan to allow their elections for a position as important as that of U.S. senator to be bought for eleven thousand dollars? It's pretty. It's pretty repulsive. It really is. It's That's scary. It. It's scary. All right. So, what do you think is going to happen? Give, give me your prediction. Well, I think with the amount of proof that Senator McDaniel has managed to amass so far, I would, if I were him, I would continue to push forward on this. Now, you know, Senator Cochran would do the public in Mississippi a real service if he would say to them, "I want to, I want to, I'm going to prove to you that my election was valid." He should support the idea of an examination of what happened, and if he's not willing to do that, then what that says to the people of Mississippi is. He's willing to take an office that was given to him in violation of the law, and that's that's un-American. And I don't I don't think I don't care who you are, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, whether you're conservative or liberal. 
you should want our system to be a valid one. If it comes to the point where people can simply buy elections, then, then the American Republic is over. It's pretty scary. Okay, let's move forward because I know you don't, have, you don't have a whole lot of time. Um, let's talk about the um, um, the 2014 midterms that's coming up. This is a big one, man. This is really, really big. The 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 hope is on the right that they can win the Senate and hold the House. Do you think? Yeah. Do, do you think they'll be able to do that? Yes, I think it's very doable. I think it's the Republicans' election to lose, and if they screw it up, then they screw it up. But I, I think at this point, America has seen what the policies of this Congress have produced, and most especially the policies of this president. Consider the fact that just two weeks ago, the president was handed two nine-to-nothing Supreme Court losses because he violated the Constitution. He appointed people to the National Labor Relations Board in a fashion that was unconstitutional. And that was the decision, not of a 5-4 majority, but 9-0. to zero. So, we have a president who's out of control. He writes laws with the stroke of a pen. He modifies laws with the stroke of a pen. He, uh, he is a man who is willing to violate the Constitution to change our country in ways that are going to hurt people around the country and in Mississippi. You're going to see people, I mean, think about this, the NLRB, which is not exactly the most exciting agency in the world, but think about what it means when the National Labor Relations Board decides that a company, for instance, like Boeing in South Carolina, which built a whole factory there, and the NLRB with Obama appointees tried to shut that entire $1 billion factory down. Uh, because they said, we think it's violating the law. Well, the fact is, it wasn't violating the law. Um, Boeing, and, and that issue was going to affect 2,000 people who had been hired by Boeing to work in that factory. If that's one of your jobs, if that's your job that's being threatened by that, this is why these decisions are so very important. If we can get a Republican majority in the House and in the Senate, we may be able to start putting the brakes on to Obama's out-of-control spending and his out-of-control legislating from the White House with his pen and his phone. Now, let me ask you this, Lars, because I've always had the opportunity to ask somebody on your level this question before. We, the, the Congress has the power of the purse, correct? Yes. Why hasn't the Republican-controlled Congress you utilize that power of the person, stop funding um, Obamacare and all these other things Obama wants to ram down our throats. I, I, can, I can give you a very simple explanation. They did do it in the fall a year and a half ago. And what the president did was he cast this to the public and said, listen, the Republicans are trying to just shut down the whole government. Well, the Republicans would have loved to have passed a bill, uh, for example, a bill that would bring the EPA under control, a bill that would, you know, begin to draw down the funding of the Department of Education, pick the department, pick the issue. On any of these issues, the problem is a bill passed in the House of Representatives with a majority of Republicans didn't even have the chance to get a vote in the Senate because on many of these uh, issues that came up, for instance, uh, modifying or ending Obamacare, which is hurting people right now. If you want to pass a bill to change or to revoke Obamacare, the the only way you can do it is pass it through the House and then pass it through the Senate. Mm. Harry Reid yeah. Harry Reid would not even allow many of those right. those uh, bills. 
to come to a vote. So if he can't bring them to a vote, then the president can say, you see, I'm demanding that they give me a budget. I want the whole budget all at once. Well, the problem is, let's say you were running a company, and the head of the company said, you know, rewrite our budget or write our budget for next year, and you think there are parts of it that should be done away with altogether, there are parts of it that should be increased and parts that should be decreased. But the boss says, I will only take one whole budget. I will not allow you to go in and make changes to any part of the budget. And if you give me a budget that I'm not happy with, I just won't sign it. Now, if there's a Republican-controlled House and Senate, they can pass through a budget bill, for instance, that might limit the EPA and stop them from killing the coal industry, which would be a good thing. They pass that bill through the House, the Senate, they put it on the president's desk. If the president vetoes it, public pressure on the president might keep him from vetoing some of those mm -hmm. bills. Yeah, okay. Because, I mean, think, think about how that works. Right now, the president has said on his first day in office that he would shut down Gitmo. He did not shut down Gitmo because the political damage to himself would have been too high. If we put a bill on his desk, and say, we want to make this change. And he says, well, I'm going to veto that bill. And all of a sudden, his phone starts ringing off the hook from people saying, hey, Mr. President, you're hurting us. You're hurting Democrats. You're hurting Republicans. We might be able to get the president to agree to make some changes. Right now, he doesn't have to. When the last time the Republicans held the president's feet to the fire on the budget, the government was shut down for 17 days. The, the uh, president acted like... The, the Republicans have brought about the end of the world, yeah. and he managed to put most of the blame on the Republicans. He said, I'm willing to sign a budget, just give me a budget. Well, he wants the whole thing. And part of this comes down to the way the federal government writes budgets. They used to break them up into 12 or 13 pieces, and by doing it that way, you could bring up the budget for the Pentagon, and you could have actual hearings and testimony to where you could determine changes should be made to it. Now what the president wants is one whole budget, and, and not even a whole budget for a whole year, just a whole budget long enough to get to the next election. We actually haven't had a full national budget for well on five years, and this is all because of Barack Obama. He's changed the deal to say, I only will take it if it includes all the things I wanted. That's scary. Okay, so let's let's say we we we, we do win um, the Senate and we hold the House. Of course, Speaker Boehner uh, just announced so he, he wants to file a lawsuit uh, against Obama. I'm not sure how much steam that'll have, uh, but if we win though, if we win the House and the, we hold, um, a do you think that lawsuit will go through? And what about the big impeachment word that some people are trying to trying to say? What, what, what can we do with that if we win everything? Okay, two answers. One, I think the lawsuit was a good idea. Is it legally enforceable? Yes. Will it be enforced on the president? No. But it will send a powerful message through to the public that this president's activities have become so radical that, that, uh, that a lawsuit has been filed against him by, by members of the other party. Uh, I think this may be the first time in American history this has happened. I can't remember whether there's been another one like this. But this president is out of control. As for impeachment, this president for the last five years has done many things that merit impeachment. Mm -hmm. um, you go right down the list of things. Abuse of the IRS to stop people's free speech. 
Um, the use of the Department of Justice to run thousands of guns, 2,500 of them, in New Mexico. Mm. <clears throat> guns that have now been connected to the murder of at least one American citizen and hundreds of Mexican nationals. The, uh, I mean, he's, he's used the NSA in ways that, that, are, that outrage Americans. He's used the IRS. He's, uh, he's ignored the situation in Benghazi and the murders there. And the fact is this president should have been impeached a long time ago. Do I believe that they will get the two-thirds vote in the Senate to convict him if the House impeaches him? No, I don't. We won't have two-thirds of the votes. But just impeaching him, even without conviction, would again send a message. Mm -hmm. Just as the message was sent to Richard Nixon way back when, when they drew up articles of impeachment in a committee, and he knew that there was going to be a vote. And so he resigned instead. I don't think this president will ever resign. I don't think you you can get rid of him that way. But at least we can begin to bring to the public's attention the things this guy has been doing. He, he writes laws that should be written by the Congress. And that's a big difference. The way our system was set up, we have a president, we have a Congress, we have the courts. This president has basically replaced the Congress and said, I don't need a Congress. Well, the Constitution says, if you want to make laws or change laws, you are required to use the Congress. This president just ignores the rules, and part of the proof that he's ignoring the rules were those two nine-to-nothing votes oh, yeah. uh, two weeks ago. What about Eric Holder? Mr. Mr. Holder has been there. He's been a nice firewall for, for President Obama. Um, why not impeach him? Can we, can we impeach him? Well, we, you could impeach him. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. And, and the problem is, with Holder, is that if you got rid of Holder, you forced him to resign, President Obama would appoint somebody as Attorney General who's just as bad or worse. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable what what this president's gotten away with i mean i'm just my my i mean he really makes nixon look like a like a like he's like a shoplifter like somebody who sold like yeah, a pack, he, pack of gum he or something. really does think about this i know that a lot of people hear these scandals and they think well it's a scandal washington's always full of scandals but think about the idea that the irs was used to shut down political free speech yeah. by groups the president did not approve of now when we hear about that happening in a foreign country, like Hugo Chavez, you know, back in the day, would say, if a, if a radio station says something I disagree with, I'll just shut the radio station down by government order. We think, how outrageous that the government would try to control free speech. That's precisely what the Obama IRS did. He, he used the IRS to stop conservative groups from operating during an election year. He's no better than a tin pot dictator. You know, and it's not so crazy to 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 compare that analogy with the some of these uh, TV stations that that are pro pro Obama. Um, no, nope. I mean like MSNBC is like I, I can't even. I, I went I went to look at that just just for a second. I just checked in there just for a second. I stopped into on that channel, and it's like a it's like a state run TV. It's like a Russian. You know, pro Brezhnev. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's unbelievable. I agree with you there, but here's the thing: I don't have a problem with MSNBC having a different point of view, as long as all of the points of view are out there. Mm -hmm. But when the president allows some points of view 
to be expressed and other points of view are shut down that's where because I want people to hear both sides of every issue yeah. and if MSNBC presents a story and says this is what it means and I tune over to Fox and they say they have a different interpretation then I tune over to conservative talk radio and you get a slightly different version you, you at least allow people to be informed about the issues that are going on the problem is, if you're only hearing one point of view, again, imagine yourself at work. The boss is pissed off. Why is he pissed off? Because something bad happened at the company. So the boss invites one person to come in and tell him what happened. Now, there are five other people where you work who have a different, you know, different version of what happened. But the boss only hears one. The boss, in this case, is the American people. If you only allow them to hear one point of view, they're going to believe what they were told. It's the only way they have of getting information about what's going on. And when you only allow one point of view, that's not America. Well, what was scary to me is these meetings that he had, these closed-door meetings he had with the liberal media. I mean, you weren't invited, were you? Juan Williams was. Nope. You weren't. Nope. Sean Hannity sure wasn't. I mean, there's, you know what I mean? I mean, so that's scary when he brings in media into closed-door meetings. Um, you know what I don't, you know you know what I have been to meetings with President Bush and President Bush when we would do House White House radio days he had Juan Williams there right. he had me there he had he had a bunch of us there of, of from different political points of view and there's nothing wrong with that in fact I think it's cowardly of a person like Obama to not be willing to take the tough questions tough questions test your arguments. Mm -hmm. When I go on my radio show, I tell people, if you're a naysayer and you think I'm wrong about something, my producers will put you first in line to be on the air. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say to people, okay, you're a naysayer, tell me where I'm wrong. And I invite people to tell me where I'm wrong. And if my arguments don't hold up against that, my arguments should not win. But if instead I put the naysayer on, and I ask him some questions, and he asks me some questions. My audience can listen to both sides and make a determination about which which version they believe is true. Mm -hmm. um, but if you only hear one side of it, and President Obama is not interested in hearing any other side about it than, than the side he believes in. He doesn't want people asking, why did you tell people that they could bring their kids into America by the tens of thousands illegally and you'd be allowed to stay. Why aren't you protecting our border? Why aren't you interested? Why aren't you telling us where the heck you were on the night of September the 11th, 2012, when those four people were being mm. murdered? And he, But he doesn't want questions like that because, you know, if he had good answers to those questions, he would let the questions be asked. Right. But because he doesn't have good answers, he just says, conversation's over. I'm not going to talk about it. Okay. The same way Hillary Clinton is trying to say that she's going to say no more about Benghazi all the way through what is expected to be a presidential campaign. Yeah. Well, if she's, de if she's declared that she's not going to answer any more questions, you know she's uncomfortable with the truth. Because people who have a true story to tell are not afraid of tough questions. Right, and, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they answer with confidence and and they're comfortable with it. So, okay, a couple more things. I'll let you go. Um, you're 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 a big gun guy. You're you're pro Second Amendment. Uh, you're a firearms owner, as as I am. I wanted to get your thoughts on a few things with the 
um, the gun grabbing that's been, you know, with, with, with Feinstein and Bloomberg. Um, also, the 22 ammo shortage. Um, it's just a weird thing. What's going on? Why can't people get 22 ammo in this country? Well, let's take that one first. I think largely the 22 ammo shortage has been just simply supply and demand. And we've been through these before. Now, I know it's, it's far more fun to say it's a conspiracy. Right. Um, to keep, but, it's, but I think, honestly, it's just supply and demand. People got spooked at the idea that they couldn't buy it. So everybody who could went down and bought you know, as many boxes as they could, which created another shortage. And, you know, the, the people have been, every time they get the opportunity to buy some, they snap up every box they can buy. The gun store I do all of my business through, which is in my area, I was there a week ago doing a, two weeks ago, doing a broadcast from the store. Mm -hmm. They said, hey, we got, we got 25 cartons or cases of, of uh, 22 cal or 25 cases of 22 caliber ammo. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, well, how many can I buy? And they said, well, 10. You can buy 10 boxes. So I bought 500 rounds. Um, I think we're beginning to see the end of that ammo shortage because the supply is catching up. And if you say, well, how come the, you know, the folks who make bullets can't make more of them? Well, if you're running a business, one of the most expensive things you do is expand capacity. Let's say you have a factory that'll make a million rounds a month. And your usual demand is close to a million rounds a month. And sometimes during hunting season it goes up a little bit and, and you and you know, you you take some out of your warehouse and you run a little short, but then you get into a month where nobody's buying ammo, where the ammo d demand goes down and you refill your warehouse. We had a, a, a period of shortage that was so deep that they couldn't get caught up. And you say, why didn't the guy build a second factory? I gotta tell you something. Any of your any of your listeners who are who run a small business, if you doubled it and said, Okay, I'm gonna build a second factory so now I can make two million rounds a month. The problem is you know that what's coming is once all the demand is filled, demand is gonna go back down to a million a month. Mm -hmm. And now you've got the cost of that second factory and it's just sitting there idle. And, you know, my, my brother-in-law is an excavator, and he has a small excavation company. It's pretty much him. He's a one-man band. And if I said to him, hey, one of your customers wants you to go out and have three excavators working simultaneously, he could, he'd say, well, I can rent that gear. But if I said, why don't you go buy two more excavators to, to use on this job? He'll say, because the next job isn't going to need three excavators. I can't afford to have two pieces of machinery sitting around not doing anything. That's very expensive. It'll eat up all my profits. And so so he does it. And I think that's what's happened to the ammo manufacturers. They can't afford to expand dramatically. And they may be running two shifts or three shifts making bullets right now. And they know that when the shortage is over, it'll go right back down and, and they'll have all this excess capacity that, that they don't need. Okay, Lars, last thing I got for you, and I really appreciate you joining us tonight, um, and, and you're listening to Lars Larson. Um, okay, so last thing I got, presidential elections coming up 2016. Um, I'm hearing rumors Hillary Clinton's got some health issues that they're trying to, that they're really trying hard not to get out there. Um, who do you think, um, will it be Hillary, I guess the first part of the question is, will it, will it be Hillary 
that'll get the nominee for the Democrat side. And who do you see coming out of this thing on the Republican side, which is a little bit interesting now because you, for a minute there it looked like Christie, Chris Christie was going to be a runaway with it. And now, you know, he has been damaged a little bit with this Bridgegate thing, and he's kind of faded off a little bit, not to say he can't come back. But who do you think emerges out of the Republican side? Well, first of all, I think if Hillary wants the nomination, she can get it. I also think she does have health issues. I think that cockamamie story about how she had the flu and got dizzy, yeah. fell down and bumped, bumped her head is baloney. I do too. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen the interviews with the neurologist who say the reason she came back from that were the big, thick glasses. Not to make fun of big, thick glasses, but they think she suffered some damage. So, and I don't think she wants to talk about that because she is planning to run for president. And she can't very well say, oh yeah, I had a stroke and I could have another one in eight minutes, but vote for me for president. Now, do I think we're gonna get the full details on her? No, because I think both Hillary and her husband are, are two of the biggest liars in American politics. We know that because of the things they've lied about. Sure. So is she going to be honest with the American people? No. On the Republican side, I'd love to see a number of people run. I'd love to see Rand Paul win, although I don't know if he can, if he can uh, uh, pull it out as president. I'd love to see Scott Walker of Wisconsin run. I would love to see Bobby Jindal run, mm -hmm. uh, governor of Louisiana. I'd love to see the. Uh, I'd love to see even Ted Cruz get into it. And I think that if we get a good field of candidates like that, we'll vet them out and we'll decide which one is the best. I think Chris Christie is far too liberal. I do too. To me, he's a Republican in name only. Mm -hmm. uh, he's wrong on guns and wrong on illegals and wrong. And the fact that he fights the unions, God bless him for fighting the unions. The unions have done so much damage to America. But just being anti-union is not enough. you got to be the whole package, and I don't think he's in. I also don't want another Bush. Okay? Right. God bless George W., because I thought he was a great president. And I always love to ask liberals, hey, if you're not that crazy about Bush, now looking in hindsight, would Al Gore have made better decisions <laughs> and been a better president during uh, the, the post-9-11 era, would uh, John Kerry have made a better president? I think even liberals look at those two jokers and say, these guys are both bad choices, but they were what we had. So, but I don't want to see Jeb Bush run, and Jeb Bush suffers from many of the same problems that, uh, that uh, his brother had, and that is, he's an establishment Republican, he believes in amnesty for illegal aliens, and he does not believe in a small government, he believes in a big government. And I really hope that uh, Governor Bush will not run, but I think he'll probably do it anyway, and we'll have to see how it works out. The bottom line, though, for a Republican to win, to win this thing, because of the way the demographics are, are changing in this country, we have to have minority votes and Hispanic votes. Um, we just have to. Um, yep, uh, I agree. So, so who... who who can do that? Who, who, who do you, that, that? I mean, you mentioned a bunch of names that I think are going to run too, but can a Rand Paul do that? My thing is maybe a Jindal can because you know he is he's East. I think he's East Indian, isn't he? But he's yes, he's, he's East Indian, and he's one of the smartest guys out. There. Yes. Plus, he's he's a guy who walked in and took over a state that was in shambles, mm -hmm. he had huge budget problems. He he managed to lower taxes. He 
managed to supply the things that people need. He managed to cut the cost of government. He's a very smart guy. And I think he got a bad rap because he gave the Republican reply to one of President uh, Obama's State of the Union addresses. And he kind of stumbled a little bit. But heck, if you're going to shut a guy down because of one speech, yeah, that, that should not have been a fatal error. And I think Bobby Jindal would make a hell of a president. I agree. Lars, thank you so, so much for doing this, man. I really, really appreciate your time.